guys, it's been like two weeks since we've done anything, and yeah, I missed you guys. I'm on, honestly still not sure if we're talking the original Candyman or Candyman Twenty One. Did you also watch both yes. Candies Men? I watched all. And of we the have candies been men. in constant discourse over the last two weeks about them. You've been talking to each other about Candyman quite a bit now. Candies Men. How am I the only one that thought about doing it? Because I've thought about standing in the mirror and saying it five times a lot the last couple of weeks. I feel like I've maybe I've done totally it. Totally done it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. totally. White people shit. That <laughs> I've, never, I've never learned <laughs> that, that or Bloody Mary. This, right? The movie definitely suggests that, that is white people stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Well, I've never done the Bloody Mary one either. I've done Bloody I've, Mary. No, never. I've never done either. Come She's on. scary. No. It's no. Time. I don't uh, play. I'm not, I don't yeah. play with ghosts. Yeah, like that yeah, seal. It, there is an interesting idea in which the conjuration of demonic spirits is a dare. Mm-hmm. That is very fun to this, you know, franchise. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is sort of like kind of the central scare of it almost mm-hmm. is the dare aspect. I feel like it's a similar thing in in, in dealing with a Ouija board, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's is ask the Ouija. Do- no, 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 no. You don't want to ask the Ouija. You don't want to tempt forces beyond your control. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> something. There's something fundamentally Lovecraftian about that. Right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I just did it was an observation that sort of I am curious. I assume Bloody Mary is the original kind of say the name. I I, I do kind of I would like to trace yeah. the history of that. Good question. Urban le- like yeah. where does the say the name in the mirror conjuring yeah, ghost the first story? It, yeah. Yeah, what what piece of literature or folklore does it come from yeah i'm yeah. curious to know too well dear listener if you're tuning in right now you're uh, probably wondering why we're talking about uh, the the candy man uh when we're supposed to be talking about inconvenient truth the al gore documentary <laughs> wait a second <laughs> we're not supposed to be talking about that <laughs> climate yes, change is scary <laughs> welcome to shocktober i can't remember uh shock from the book of shocks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's right shock, it's, it's, it's 11 it's, it's shocktober 11. 11 i don't know stuff no more no you don't have to keep after 10 years you don't have to keep track of my stuff anymore yeah, yeah exactly Dust- i'm off the clock go ahead bro No, you're on <laughs> i'm still dustin i'm still arthur i'm still dalton and this is the good trash candy man cast in which oh, we the candy man can the, you know the candy corns that you never ever discuss in ca- halloween candy right you would never if you get candy corn at a house that's a house you don't go to that's Steamed a bad corn, house. Creamed corn, candied corn. <laughs> yeah, okay, I like this bit. I want to see where this goes. Uh, corn salad, popcorn, corn stew. Yeah, yeah. okay, popcorn. Didn't yeah. think about that. Corn one. steaks, street corn. Now, for the listener at home, Avenue corn, who might be getting tired of this, I hope they're not. Uh, we did talk about. We are talking about the Nia DaCosta Candyman from 2021, yes. not the one from 1990. It will come up, I'm sure, I, since we all watched them in conjunction. with We're going to have to discuss them both in conjunction with each other. Other, I think just because this is definitely like a horror legacy hey and what I, do we do before we discuss them who knows oh we do like well so before we okay before we why discuss isn't he looking movie, at me anymore he's not even looking at me no he's looking at me he's now mad he's, at me. He's, he's he's trying to he's just offloading his responsibilities <laughs> he's trying to both to, of us uh, i'm he's off the tr- clock he's All trying right. to reassert power structure. so what we're gonna do with this show and the show you're listening to is a re- analysis show. It's not a review show. That's right. It's not one of those. You've heard lots of review shows before, but here we do analysis. And to do analysis, we're going to have to spoil the movie Candyman from 2021. Oh, that'd be bad. I know. It's a new movie. People might not have watched it yet. So we're going to spoil it. But we'll give you a brief reprieve. First, my good buddy Arthur is going to give you a synopsis. About <laughs> that, that's Arthur. <laughs> He's going to tell you what this movie's about. It will be spoiler free as best as he can. Then we'll go do some thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Also spoiler free. Just kind of give you an idea of where we're sitting at around this, where we've kind of landed with this movie as we're getting into discussing it. Then we'll play a little game called Expanding the Syllabus. We'll tell you about more about that later. Uh, but we'll get a little spoilery in that section of the show. That's where we start to turn the spoilers up to, let's say, medium high. 
and then we get down to business, and that business is, as always, analysis, and that's when we get up to a frothing boil, and we just spoil the whole damn thing. Uh, we'll be make you know, caramelizing sugar. Boiled spoils. Boiled spoils? Is that we're gonna I was picturing serve? more like caramelizing something, you know, okay. Candyman. Maybe broil the spoils. Broil the spoils. Okay, I like that, just because I like the alliterator, the, uh, the rhyme. Love it. Well, boil rhyme, Now, did I, do your, did I do your job okay? I think you did okay. All right, cool. So, Arthur, what's this damn movie about? In Nia DaCosta's 2021 follow-up to the cult classic, artist Anthony McCoy is dealing with a dry spell, unsure of what to paint and show in an upcoming gallery event. As he begins exploring the recently renovated Cabrini Green Project in Chicago, he hears the story of Candyman and learns that saying his name five times in a mirror will summon the hook-handed monster. Dun dun dun! There you go. All right. So I kept waiting for Sammy Davis to appear. The, the oh yeah, one of the, 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 the five times and he just well, shows up and does a that's yeah. the original version. Routine. It's like uh, it's like Frank Sinatra <laughs> yeah. and Dean Martin and they <laughs> just summon the, the whole candy man. <laughs> oh my god. So who wants to talk? We the Rat Pack plus Tony Todd. <laughs> Whoa, no, that's cool. Well, what I want to know really badly right now, Arthur, is... Or Tony Todd guts the Rat Pack, one of the two. Either one, yeah, I'm it. was really it. exciting. Yeah. What do you want to know? I want to know if you liked it or not. Did I like it? Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy uh, Candyman. Did you catch it last year when it came out? Yeah, I did. I was very excited for it. I liked the original quite... I haven't seen Fair Bottle of the Flesh or the other one. Uh, I can't remember what the other one's called. Something about blood or trips or new or something. Farewell to the Flesh. There's a third one, though, right? The, there, yeah, it's a book of the dead. Uh, Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead. Something. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's got a Mardi Gras thing. Farewell to the Flesh is a good title. Anyway. I've, uh, see, I've seen them all. Okay. Uh, I do like uh, I, I like the original Candyman, so I, I was excited to see this. It had a great trailer uh, with that haunting uh, Say My Name drop uh, over it, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think in, in revisiting it here, um, I still enjoy it. I, I just love... I mean, the idea of urban legends and folklore and the way that's played with, especially in new media, I think is really interesting. That's one of something... your kind of pet projects yeah. for as long as I've known you. Really. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by that idea. At one point in your back pocket, you considered PhD work. Yeah. This. yeah, yeah, I think it's just really fascinating, and I don't know if there's still a way not to pursue that. But, um, yeah, I, 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 so just the idea, the premise of Candyman is, is endlessly fascinating to me. And I think that, for the most part, DaCosta's effort here is, is solid. Um, I think that, again, watching it now reaffirms some some of the weaknesses I noticed in the initial watch. Mm-hmm. I still think it just has too much on its mind. I, I think there are just maybe one, two, two, too many irons in the fire. Gotcha. I, I, I think that so much... I mean, it's only a 90-minute movie, and it's trying to tackle several different different themes in ways I think kind of interrelated themes yeah. for sure. But yeah, it's I think got a it lot on its mind doesn't juggle that well mm-hmm. uh, throughout. Um, I, I think cast is great. I, I love our cast here. Yaya Abdul-Mateen is, is so good. A uh, great mm. voice, uh, especially for a candy man. He's got such a good voice. Uh, mm-hmm. Great I mean, voice, truly. great look, good charisma. I just love him. Yeah. He's, he's great he's in everything. All I've seen him in. I like Tayona Paris too. Yeah. I wish he had more to do in this movie. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, right? I mean, it really is. And it's really weird because by the end, it's not even Yaya's movie mm. in a way. Almost becomes mm. Coleman Domingo's movie a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it does, which for, is, I think, an li- interesting for shift. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's cool. I, I think uh, elements of the Candyman that are present work. I, I, I really like the third act. I, I think the third act is really interesting here. I think some of the lead up, maybe in the second act, gets a little sweaty. The way mm-hmm. things kind of shift around 
I know exactly what you're talking don't about. Don't work well. Yeah. And so I there's some the structural issues that kind of drop the ball. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I just love the idea of Candyman. And so I'm, I, I liked seeing a new chapter in that story. I like the ways in which it integrates with the original. The, the, the cool cardboard paper doll animation bits that we get that recount Helen story are cool, but also the way that they incorporate, um, this is, is it Daniel? I'm trying to, yeah. Daniel Robitaille's story as well as the original Candyman in the 1880s mm. is really neat. And I just love that aesthetic and the way that kind of, I like that kind of animation when it's integrated, uh, in, into live action is, is a really cool way of doing a flashback, uh, and can kind of catch you up to speed on on the the larger narrative without feeling like an exposition drop because it is so stylized. Um, I, I I think uh, when we get drops of the original Candyman score is really cool because mm. I love that original score, score so much. That Philip Glass score is really good. Yeah, uh, so getting those kind of callbacks here is fun. Um, so I, I think it's really polished in some ways. Uh, I, I mentioned off air there's some ways I feel like. There are moments in this that feel studio force because they need something for a trailer mm -hmm. and try to make this into more of a slasher when I don't really think Candyman's a slasher. No, I, I, no. And I think that kind of hinders it and adds some fat that could be trimmed. Um, all in all, though, it's solid. I enjoy it. I'd watch it again. Um, not the greatest movie ever, um, but I think it's a fun reinvention of this franchise in a way that works. Very good. Very good. What say you? Mr. Dalton. I'm, I'm of a similar mind to, to Arthur. I, I watched this movie last year and was really excited about it. Um, I hadn't seen the original Candyman when I saw this movie for the first time. I was just excited about I'd seen trailers for Nita Costa's first film um, mm -hmm. with uh, Tessa Thompson. And I forget who else is in that. But um, Little Woods or something like that is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, but it's like a drug running. It's like a family drama me. movie that's also deals with like running stuff across the border. So, oh, okay. yeah. So I was, I was just kind of curious about that My film. Childhood. Lily James. Lily James. That's yeah. who else is in it. Um, but yeah, I've been I was curious about that from the trailer. So when the trailers for Candyman first dropped, I got I got really hyped up for it, especially mm -hmm. just because you know exciting new filmmaker working with Jordan Peele, mm -hmm. you know. So I got really hyped up and, and really enjoyed the movie a lot. On this rewatch, um, so my watch order for the show was I did Candyman ninety nine first or ninety first, and then I watched twenty twenty one Candyman, and I gotta say like. It did hurt my estimation of this film a little bit, like going and, and revisiting the or getting familiar with the original Candyman and then revisiting this film. I did. It did kind of lessen this for me. And it might just come down to Tony Todd had to wear all those damn bees in 1990. Dude wore like a whole beehive. I, I can't believe it. Uh, Sal and I, I talked about this. You know, uh, I'm a sucker at one for that point, kind of but stuff. The, the, the kiss, right? That kiss with uh, oh, Helen. The kiss with Virginia with Madsen. Bees. Yes. Yeah. That's just like, what? You can't yeah. top that. And and that is, the movie does suffer for that. But this film does have, going in its favor, some really, really class A filmmaking, some really clever stuff. I love the subversion of, you know, the first movie opens with this Chicago skyline shot, and this movie's opening credits are looking at the buildings from ground level, mm -hmm. and I'm just a sucker for that kind of shit. It yeah. just, it, in general, just like a subversion of what you expect from uh, the, you know, sort of uh, scene uh, set and setting photography, sort of that uh, B-roll stuff that is usually not creative. Is just kind of, here's a static skyline. Here it's much more moody, much more haunting, brings you into the world of Chicago uh, at a street level, and uh, I think it really sets the tone for the movie very well. And I, I think this movie is so interesting, you know, to get into a little bit of analysis early, but, you know, bear with me, I'll stay spoiler-free. I think what's interesting, when you look at these films in comparison with each other, the first Candyman is, like, very much about, like, 
liberal academia fears of, of poverty and like the, the things that like white liberalism has has done to the inner city in, in the 90s and like the fear of responsibility for that. And this movie is something totally different. It is a movie about black artists dealing with black pain and how do you do that without being a sellout or, you know, trafficking mm-hmm. on something that nobody should traffic in. And this film, because of that, is like way more didactic. And I don't know, I'm I'm an idiot. I like it when movies are on the nose. I, I say, say what you mean and be proud of what you want to say. Uh, so not everybody goes for that. And if you don't go for that, you're probably going to hate this movie because it is pretty on the nose as far yeah. as like what it wants to say. Yeah. Uh, as Arthur said, I do think it's playing with a lot. It obviously is forced to deal with what happened to Cabrini Green since 1990. Like mm-hmm. it just, it's going to have to deal with that because it's a movie, a sequel to Candyman that has to deal with what happened in the real world between the first Candyman and now. So that just having to deal with like explaining gentrification and like, three lines of dialogue in one scene is, is a hard thing to do. So the movie has to like really deal with some, some tricky real world shit. Uh, and you know, I, I think it equips itself admirably, but it is maybe too many irons in the fire. Uh, and as Arthur said, I do think that there's some pretty sweaty stuff to get us into the third act. I like where the movie ends. I, I am pretty much on board with that, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I do, I do think some of the plotting that gets us there is a little out of nowhere and a little, rushed maybe um there are interesting tie-ins to the original film that make this a true legacy sequel and i think that's pretty cool i Mm -hmm. I think the decisions that were made are really interesting ones um overall i I am on board with this movie um i I think my favorite sequence is at the critic the art critics house even though it's aping like classic marx brothers stuff like there's there's a great mirror bit and then there's a great wide shot uh i think that's Mm -hmm. maybe one of the my favorite sequences in the movie yeah Uh, not just because it's like making fun of critics in an interesting way. Usually when things make fun of critics, they don't like uh, in Birdman. I, I'm not on board with Birdman's like uh, overly like crusty critic. I am really on board with the like floppy critic who can't make up her mind about whether or not she thinks the art is bad or not. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. I think it's also the one sequence in the movie. That's a real through line to the way in which Candyman operates in the original. Yes. Yes, it, it is. You're absolutely right. I think it, it, it is the murder scene, the scare scene that feels most in line with the original film and the way that film deploys scares. Because yeah. mm-hmm. that film is way different. And that was kind of, I said this on Letterboxd, this is kind of where I came down on these two films. I think the first Candyman is about cultivating a, a kind of a creepy feeling. And I think this Candyman is about uh, creating a feeling of dread Yeah, more than creeping yeah. you out. It wants you to feel like, the the weight of like the fear as yeah. opposed to like being you know having your skin crawling well dustin and i had kind of talked there's a way in which i think the original came in is urban gothic mm, in a like in a way and, and it so mirrors dracula mm-hmm. and this idea of the faded lost love yeah be my victim yeah, yeah. right and we got to reunite mina with dracula mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that's a really if, if you have the expectation of Candyman as slasher. Yeah, well, it is a, a drastically it's a, it's different a gothic movie. Romance. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is more werewolf movie. This is a gothic film as well. Yeah, but definitely. It, but it's it is um it is a haunting gothic. And I do think it does try to get pigeonholed in some ways into slasher territory mm-hmm. with uh, a yeah. few moments. There's yeah, I mean the bathroom sequences. I think yeah. is what we're alluding to and the early art gallery thing. Yeah, that's a little Which bit it, more. It, I think that threads a line. Like it, it feels a little in line because of the nature of it, mm-hmm. but that. 
the bathroom sequence in particular very much feels feels like a studio note. Yeah, feels like a hey, can we get the body count on this movie a little higher? Which, yeah, if you watch the original Candyman, you will remember there's a very low body count in that film. So yeah. I don't I don't think this movie needs the extra kills, even if it's like a pretty compellingly made scene of, yeah. of slasher violence. Yeah, like it's, it's pretty compelling. Yeah, I think but, out of the context. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a cool scene. It works for a trailer, but I don't think it works in the movie. And and yeah. unfortunately, there are a couple of moments that just don't quite work. But yeah. as you said, everybody's great. Coleman Domingo always like the pitch hitter of the last like five years. Dude just like always comes in, throws heat, gives whatever you need and can like do so many different things. Can do, you know, mentor figure, can do nightmare man, can do just about anything. Yeah. I just want to highlight him because I like him as a performer yeah. and you'd already uh, shouted out. Uh, yeah. So I just want to make sure we're giving some love to the to the cast. Yeah. Uh, Dustin, what about you? Had you seen this film before? Or was this I had first not one? seen it before. Okay. And did you watch all three of the other Candymen and, and lead up to watching it? I only watched one in preparation, but I've seen okay, gotcha. all of the uh, the franchise. Uh, what I would say is, I think the production team sat down at some point and said, okay, we got to do something with Candyman. Let's figure out what we got to do for a Lego sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are our options? And they sort of, I think they looked at the world of various horror franchises and other kinds of franchises in making that decision. They said, what if we did West Craven's new nightmare for Candyman. It's very new nightmare. Yeah, I see why you say that. And that is the right choice. It is absolutely the right choice to do that. And let's go back into additional uh, sort of exploratory materials that we might think about. And so uh, the urban legends surrounding Halloween and other urban legends that we we can sort of uh, incorporate in the film. And uh, that is, again, just the right decision. It is, it is how you do this kind of legacy sequel right, I think. Mm. And uh, sort of in a way to acknowledge the existence of the initial film without it being, and this is where it's slightly different from the self-reflexivity of Wes Craven's New Nightmare. It doesn't turn it into a movie. It simply just acknowledges the events and then continues with the, co- the concept of how do we repackage and how does, how does this sort of... Uh, frightening bit of American history meets mythology find its way back into the popular mind. Mm. And asking that question, again... How do we commodify terror? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it flowers into some really, really interesting stuff. And then, of course, a really well-made film. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it because I did re-watch the uh, first Candyman after watching this one, rather than watch, watching in the appropriate sort of sequential chronological order. And... I think this is a better made movie by quite a bit. It's much slicker filmmaking. Yeah, it's 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 more inventive camera moves, clever shot choices. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Better color palette in a lot of ways mm-hmm. too. The the originals got kind of a washed out very early nineties mm-hmm. color palette. Right. Well, and, you know, you see movies from the early nineties, and not all of them share that same no. kind of color palette. No. But there there's a way in which that film does feel like it, it almost feels. It shows the limitations of its budget mm. that this movie's, um, I think, more able to hide. Sure. And I will uh, say, I like Tony Todd's costuming in the, the original a yeah. little bit I better do too. than the Candyman costuming here. Although I think good costuming But there's in this movie. a fascinating little callback to it. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah, I'm not which, sure is, which is which is great. Okay. You know, and and so I I like that as well. And so it, it's it's again reverential to the source material, mm-hmm. but definitely doing its own thing, making its own movie, making a movie that is independent of the original as totally. well. In mm-hmm. a way that Creed is really successful in doing. That you yeah. would never have to have seen a Rocky movie yeah. to see Creed and to yeah. be able to jump into it and appreciate that movie. Yeah. And so I think it's really effective in that way. Um, and I and I also think that uh, script wise and plotting wise, the original Candyman has got. 
lot of weaknesses that I think this one improves on uh, in significant ways. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 treasure of the first movie is that the concept is by itself so evocative. And that's probably what the success really leans on much more than just the film's quality all by itself. And, uh, and so because it is such an evocative idea, and I think really, um, looking back to last week's show, Nightmare on Elm Street is do- does the same thing. Mm-hmm. The Nightmare on Elm Street is a well-made and an interesting and fun little low-budget horror film, but really the the real weight of its success is just the idea everybody the sleeps yeah and this idea that what if what if the, what if the slasher was going through your dreams yeah that's terrifying and in the same way this idea of well I won't get get into the the, the idea of the bloody mary all over again sure but the other ideas the race component mm-hmm. to that story is really what makes it work and in the same kind of way this really works here as well um again performances are outstanding the you've already mentioned the sound cues uh the use of virginia madsen's uh image and voice uh in uh discovering some source materials in the way that there's an archive of those materials that exists yeah, right cool. out there in the past yeah, another scene that i really like yeah. is the university archive stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and th- this idea that by finding that archival material and that the archival material is stuff from the first film that's that's a, a brilliant again inspired choice there and so it, it it's scary and it works. Uh, there are there bits that are less than awesome. Yes, but I I I think as you mentioned that they are production notes. I do think that our directorial team is able to harness those notes to at least connect them to uh, what's going on thematically and in mm-hmm. terms of the uh, the way in which we've scripted the way we're going to tell this story. Yeah. And so I think they're they're still of good use if that makes sense. And so, yeah, all of that works for me a lot. And so I really, really enjoyed the movie. I think it's one of the best um, horror legacy sequels to come out in quite some time. Um, and maybe, maybe the best. Uh. I think that's pretty easy to say. Yeah. yeah. I We'd have to, mm. maybe we'll talk about it when we get a little bit further in the show. I can't think of many, I mean, there's plenty of horror reboots and remakes. Yeah. But I can't think of any, many horror legacy sequels. I mean, it's Halloween and Scream. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's, Halloween yeah, that's Scream, it, I and, and I think it succeeds more than either of those efforts. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen twenty twenty two Scream, but I think you know the the David Gordon Green Halloween trilogy is a pretty mixed bag so far. Yeah. without having seen the, I mean, how they close it out, Halloween Independent of its own, I think is a superior movie to this. But mm-hmm. I think the way that trilogy plays is going to determine that's legacy in its own right. Yeah, this Halloween. I think Halloween twenty eighteen is good. I think it's pretty good. I think Halloween Kills is a it's real bad. mixed bag. Some people hate it. Uh, I don't know that I absolutely hate it. I I think it's interesting. It's not good though. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. definitely not it's good. A, yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's an interesting movie. So we'll we'll see how. I like Halloween Scream and... Six though, or Five. Yeah, I, I know. Like Scream I know five. people like mm-hmm. that one. I, I think it is good, but I think this is superior, and that's 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 the case I'm trying to make here. I think. Um, and, and, and then of course, just the spate of just continued sort of like yeah. extending the franchise forever. I'm looking at you, Hellraiser. Yeah. And, uh, speaking new of, yeah, they're, they're, they're dropping on Hulu. Like what? In a week? Nope. Well, after you've, uh, it's already up if you're listening to this. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We're recording before it's out, but yeah, yeah it's, it's time travel and podcasting. Yeah. Gotta love it. Uh, but we like it a lot. So that's our general consensus around the table, dear listener. We're now going to move into that little section of the show called Expanding the Syllabus that Dalton mentioned a moment ago. Arthur, can you explain to the dear listener what that's all about? I most certainly can. Now, expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment where we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course uh, based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent text. This could be books or articles or just tangentially related films and stories. 
That's right. We're taking Candyman 2021, putting it in an academic course and, you know, filling it with other things that you would put in your brain. That's right. And so with that, um, Arthur Gordon, can you please uh, delight us with your syllabus? Yeah, I think that I, I think thematically I would tie it in. I don't know what this would fall in. Um, but if I found myself thematically talking about uh, fixation and obsession, I think I could find a place for mm-hmm. this. And I think you I'd love go, an obsession movie. I do. I do. Uh, I, I like a person getting, uh, you know, curiosity killed the cat. And uh, that shows itself often in cases of obsession. Uh, so I think I would start with uh, De Palma's blowout uh, with uh, Lithgow uh, and Travolta and uh, what's her name from uh, Carrie? Not, not no, 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 the uh, the bully, the 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 one that befriends her in Carrie. Uh, she, she Nancy, did, yeah, Nancy Allen, Allen, that's right, from Robocop, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Nancy Allen's in that movie? Yeah. Took she's a long blowout. time to get there. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, she is in Blowout. Um, but yeah, that is a, uh, a really fun uh, movie wherein a uh, sound designer uh, hears uh, something on a track and in his investigation gets up, pulled into something uh, much deeper and darker uh, than he could have hoped for. I, I think it's a really fun exploration. It's also a fun setup in that. It's the straight uh, version of Barbarian Sound yes. Studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah playing it real real straight and narrow, but it's a, such a good a uh, little story of obsession as, as Travolta tries to puzzle out what is going on uh, and, and the problems uh, that he finds himself into. Uh, from there, we're going to take a look at Dave Fincher. Obviously, we're going to talk about Zodiac, uh, one of the great obsession movies. Absolutely. Uh, as Hall tries to figure out who the Zodiac killer There's is. There's more than one way for a killer uh, to take your life. And uh, tagline. produces two to three of the most frightening uh, scenes and sequences to ever be put on film. Uh, and a great performance from John Carroll Lynch. So uh, you, you got to talk about Zodiac if you're going to talk about Obsession. Uh, from there, uh, we're going to talk about the OG Candyman and the way in which Helen uh, gets possessed by the story uh, in, in seeking out a, a opportunity to develop groundbreaking uh, literature or That's or a great academia. verb to describe that. Yes, yeah. well done. I, I, I really uh, enjoy that. So we would, lo- I think, have to watch that uh, in conjunction with this because of the the way in which obsession works, I think, in in this version. Uh, and then finally, we'd cap it off with uh, Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan uh, as, as one dancer tries to prove their worth as a leading uh, member of the ballet company. Mm-hmm. And Portman's performance there as she just spirals down the rabbit hole it is top-notch, followed by a great performance from Kunis and everybody else involved. Uh, and uh, Aronofsky's uh, direction is just top-notch there. So that's what I do. I... I'd, focus on fixation and obsession we'd pick at that look at those themes and how they uh you know, come to life in, in narrative film very good very good what are you gonna do with it dalton so we would be doing a class where we would look at social horror and social thrillers before and after get out right this is a this is a genre that's been with us for a long long time mm-hmm. but sort of the advent of get out and monkey paw productions and the the renaissance of or not renaissance but the uh the rise of jordan peele as one of the the hit makers in hollywood you know sort of he started talking about this idea of social thrillers he he showed some films at bam the brooklyn music academy i don't know if you guys saw or saw or heard about this it's been a while ago now but he did like a, a, a presentation series of some films that inspired him and, and that he lumped into this the social thrillers genre but again i i think uh it's it's a word that's been getting thrown around a lot lately because we've we've got so many horror films and thrillers over the last couple of years that are like overtly dealing with social issues that it's it's kind of become a hot button you know it's like elevated horror it's a thing that's getting tossed around so much that it doesn't really mean anything and i think that's what this class would try to explore is like what what does this mean mm-hmm. what does this genre look like and it would be kind of a genre and examination. But I think we would start with Get Out. 
We, mm-hmm. we would say there's a before and after point with the genre and it's this movie. But then we would go back. And I think after that, we would go back and look at things like Night of the Living Dead um, and maybe even um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Not a thriller but at all, but uh, just, you know, sort of an interesting parallel to Get Out. Social yeah. issues a movie. social issues movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is a nice setup for Get Out. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. I'm not the first person to draw that parallel, no, but... but I think that's, yeah, it's very astute to Thanks. like put those two together. I dig it. Uh, there's also this 1980s film that we've almost talked about the sh- on the show called Society. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this one, but uh, we almost did it when I programmed Shocktober uh, last year. I uh, came very close to putting it on the list. Do we live in a society? We do indeed live in one, Dustin. Okay. Uh, what else would we talk about? We'd look at The Burbs uh, from pre the pre-Get Out era. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I love that movie. It's a little bit more of a comedy than a horror film. But uh, it's got... It's it's got scares, yeah, yeah, and it is definitely about like social issues. As far as like, how do you live in a society? How do you have neighbors? How do you cohabitate with people when you don't really know a lot about them? Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point we would probably move a little more into the. Well, actually, there's one other that I want to talk about: the Michael Haneke film Funny Games, which I think yes. is a a great sort of horror of manners. Yeah, uh, a movie about getting into a horror film because you don't know how to stop being polite. Yeah, uh, which is a kind of horror movie that I absolutely love. Yeah, I love that shit. Just yeah, people just like refusing to like let social niceties go to the extent that it gets. Uh, it's great. And again, Hanukkah's film really doesn't like movie violence, and I think that's just somebody made a horror film. Somebody that doesn't like movie violence made a horror film, and I just think that that's fascinating. Yeah, um, an ultra violent horror. An ultra violent. Yeah, yeah, like only a few times. Yeah, but like emotionally, like horrifically violent yeah. emotionally. Yeah, a, a, a absolute sicko shit movie. You should not watch Funny Games if you're in an emotionally like fragile place. Uh, what would we look at post um, Get Out though? We would look at the film Master with Re- uh, Regina King that just came out uh, last year. Or yeah. is it this year? This year. It is this year. Yeah. Um, I know that that's one that's gotten uh, some good work. Um, now I do think it's interesting. There's this writer, uh, Jason Parham, who's writing for Wire, and uh, he says that Master is a movie that shows the limitations of the social issues genre or the social thriller genre. Um, so I think it'd be interesting. I think that's a movie that we could kind of use as a to overall like critique the film uh, or critique the term rather. So we kind of look at Master being like, all right, well, this is now an outgrowth of the post Get Out boom. Mm-hmm. What do we think about this genre? What does it mean? And again, a film I haven't seen, but I am quite curious about uh, some other post. Uh, get out social thrillers or at least contemporaries to get out uh, the um, the film Parasite Bong Joon-ho not explicitly a horror film but I think definitely in that orbit uh, the um, film Red State from uh, um, Kevin Smith mm-hmm. uh, of all people I think that would be an interesting one to look at post oh, get out that is it's contemporary of get okay, out. Okay, yeah okay. it's about the same time and another pre get out one that I forgot is uh, it's because it's a movie I haven't seen but I know it's one that uh, Jordan Peele's inspired by is uh, Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs oh, mm. I do so, love that movie yeah I don't know it's it's well regarded and of course we would have to look at both Candyman uh, and Jordan, you know, Jordan Peele obviously was involved in the production of this film. Uh, it was one of the co-writers along with Nia DaCosta. And of course, his film Us, I think, is also very much a social thriller. Uh, definitely looking at class and, and the same way that Get Out looked at it, race. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a line in The People Under the Stairs where Hank from Twin Peaks says, The Ghetto. It does, I think about all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. That's Just great. a little brain worm for you. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. So anyway, those are some of the films that we would look at. But I think all of them could be fit, fit, fitted under this umbrella of social thrillers, social horror. Uh, and I think they would give us something really to 
dense that you're chew on. And I think maybe when we get into analysis, we'll kind of talk about like what the genre means and and what does it do. Absolutely. What would you uh, teach uh, with Katie? Mandelson? I think it's going to connect some of the dots to what you're saying okay. already and to something that Arthur mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Gothic and the species of the Gothic. And I was trying to be a little vague earlier because I didn't want to steal my own thunder because I do believe that very much the OG uh, Candyman is uh, the... Uh, gothic romance mm-hmm. uh, tied up with again very much a dracula kind of story of this uh figure here this film ties into the idea of the gothic a- in terms of uh generational guilt or more specifically national guilt and so i think i would use this movie in a literature course okay. in which i was teaching gothic lit and so and when you'd wrestle with the mm-hmm. ideas of the various kinds and frames in which goth uh gothic literature tends to deal with those kinds of national guilt and so uh i mean the urtext in this is probably the short story from Edgar Allan Poe the black cat mm-hmm. in which the black cat is not a cat it that gets hung at the end it's about something else that yeah. Might get hung oftentimes in the streets of Baltimore. That's about the, a lynching. And a, yes, correct. Gotcha. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I've not the, read this story. The, the biggie on the eye charts, like there, as soon as you, as soon as you say it, you're like, oh yeah, that's what it's that's that's what's happening there. We don't. Edgar Allan Poe was kind of a horny creep, but he wasn't a racist, right? No, he's, he's not like Lovecraft, where you have to like be mad at him. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, he he is he is on the side of the angels. In that's this kind case. of what I figured. I just wanted, based on what you were saying about the story, I just want to check in. Yeah, absolutely, he is, and in the way in which uh, sort of the, this drunken presence of america again drunken on its power and drunken on its uh, economic uh, ability and wealth is unable to see the ways in which it's committing these acts of abuse over and over and over again and then finally sort of looks in horror what it's done mm. uh, with poor pluto the black cat uh titular black cat of that story and that is again sort of the urtex i mean you go further back as a, even like one of the first gothic stories that come out of american literature which is charles brockton brown's uh wyland uh which also has a sort of a native american uh genocide mm-hmm. piece to it but before the native american genocide really even picks up steam uh, with uh, Westward Expansion and Andrew Jackson and some of those things that take place later on in the 19th mm-hmm. century. It's an 18th century version of this wow. and anticipates that, which is um, terrifyingly prescient, uh, to say the very least. You know, there's always people, wh- wherever you find yourself in history, there are always people with modern minds thinking, this could get worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this could get a lot worse. And, and then, again, there's, there's, there's not a lot of it in that particular story because it's much more dealing with sort of religious mania mm. as its uh, sort of gothic okay. preoccupation. But there's, there's a component of it there where a, a dream and sleepwalking takes place and uh, all of a sudden we encounter um, indigenous peoples. Uh, that is pretty fascinating. And so you can see that going on in that realm of Gothic literature. And, uh, of course, then Candyman itself, uh, the 2022 or 21 remake here or legacy sequel, does exactly that same kind of idea. Of like well, there's been this history of these abuses, these, these lynchings that have taken place, yeah. and that it has sort of created this uh, being, this essence, again, the sort of the whatever Freddy Krueger is supposed to be in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, sort of that is what this is now. Which flips the script from Candyman 1990 in like a really interesting way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because the, the the way they talk about Candyman in that film is is about like attributing murders in Cabrini Green to Candyman. Whereas when we first get our Candyman story in 2021's Candyman, 
it says, no, the Candyman is a, is a victim. Is, the Candyman yeah, is not the perpetrator of violence. The embodiment of that violence, yeah. yes. And, and, and in some sense, it's a embodiment. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, and, and, and sort of a vengeful spirit mm-hmm. of uh, that violence. And so I, I think that's really, really fascinating. I, I think another way you can think about it, though, and again, sort of a, a more contemporary mode of it that we tend to think of as a ghost story, but really is truly an American uh, national guilt gothic, mm-hmm. is uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. which is a... It's a Native American uh, burial ground that has been desecrated by, again, sort of uh, the populations of, of uh, colonists who have now come to the United States. And so I think that's an interesting counterpoint to it. And then finally, uh, maybe the uber text of exactly what this is, but it's told as a period piece in the time of the sort of high moment of American Gothic literature is Toni Morrison's Beloved, mm. which is a brilliant little novel that has um, one chapter of three-person point of view stream of consciousness strung together. Three-person stream of consciousness writing, right? High modernism, but it's three people, and it's also That's very badass. much this uh, haunted Gothic story of what happens when... Um, a, a woman chooses to kill her child rather than to allow her child to go back into slavery, mm. and she's haunted mm. by that event. Yeah. Uh, spoilers, I guess, but it's not really spoilers. Ah, not, you, I, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew that's what Beloved was about, and I've never read the book. Which at all. I believe its uh, date of publication is just the year before the original Candyman comes out. Eighty nine. Uh, Eighty nine is what I think, but I'd have to look up. It's it's late eighties, but I want to say it's right at that turn of the the nineties decade there, and so, uh, but so it also is in conversation with ideas that will end up coming into full fruition here. Here in 2021. How do you feel about the Jonathan Demme movie? Of Beloved? Yeah. I saw about a third of it, and I got bored. I know, it's, people were kind of mixed on it, but it, Oprah Winfrey wanted uh, Demme. Mm-hmm. She wanted him bad for that one. Well, I, I mean, and, kind and, of interesting. And I love Oprah, and I love her on screen, but I, I think uh, she takes a little while to find her step as an actress, too. Sure. And so um, she she's a good Setha, but I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just glad one of us is well-read. <laughs> Somebody has to have read Beloved on this podcast, damn it. I, I teach Beloved. Good. I, 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 t- I teach it in my... Um... I wish somebody had taught it to me before I gave up. You know, if you look, if you don't make me read something, I'm probably not going to. It's yeah. sort of a problem with me. I, I actually teach it in my, what, whatever our version of theology and literature is at Southwestern. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's called The Writer's Theologian, which is a stupid title, but nonetheless... I didn't make it. You could change it. I could change it, and I might at some point. But again, sort of theology and lit doesn't seem as... Impactful? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, someone was trying very hard to be creative, and I, I and I get what they're trying to do, but yeah. this is not that. Yeah. Nonetheless, um, that's my syllabus, and dear listener, your syllabus just got much longer. I believe now would be the time we would get down to business. It's business. It's business time. That's right. Just like in the art studio, we have gotten down to business and are going to talk about analysis. Oh, uh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, first of all, yes, this is a podcast where three white dudes are about to talk about the analysis of a movie that is about uh, racial lynchings. Uh we're going to do our best to, I don't know, not be idiots. We're clearly not the ideal set of uh, analysts. It's for one this. of those episodes where I wish we had a guest host with us every week. You know, mm-hmm. I often feel that way. I felt that way when we did, but I'm a cheerleader. Uh, this is another one of those episodes where I'm like, God, I wish we had time to like book. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but we simply, you know, have other jobs. Yes. Let's, let's start here before we get too into the, the muddy waters of that. Okay. So you already mentioned the on the nose element of 
what mm. this movie is doing. And sure. That's what we're going to get into in a bit. It's also really funny because that becomes a common criticism within the narrative of this film. Well, and then film calls it out because it knows yeah. it's going to be the film like preempts the criticism. Yeah, I right? think that's a really interesting meta decision there within the narrative, because when he first presents the his first his first art, Anthony presents his first artwork after going to Cabrini Green, mm-hmm. showing Sherman, the first Candyman, uh, being assaulted by the police um, and his art dealer. Uh, the curator or whatever he is uh, comes in, sees it, and then criticizes it. Or his girlfriend, actually, fiance first, yeah, is the it's one. Yeah, Taylor Paris who says it. Says, yeah. it's too on the nose. It's like, yeah, I, I, I know what that's about, right? Yeah, like it's, it's surface level. Uh, there's nothing. There's no room for uh, audience inter- uh, interpretation. Can mm-hmm. I read you a David Chin's letterbox yeah. review? Yeah, it's true. If your movie is sometimes strikingly literal, but then you have a scene in your movie where a character comments on another piece of art saying, it's a bit literal, isn't it? That automatically makes it okay. And I agree. I, I fundamentally I, agree. There's a, I don't, there's a self-awareness, that you're doing right? It, yeah. 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 Is that what is that what it takes for you? You think to I, be I, I able to disregard so. that? Yeah, because I shallowness. I, I tend to be the kind of critic or um, I don't know explorer of movies analyst that likes to have my subtext be subtext and have text and subtext yeah. to be two different things. And I I, I I find that that's much more pleasurable generally, uh, yeah. just as a uh, movie watcher. Yeah. But that being said, when you are calling it out and that it becomes, uh, well, an instance of self-reflexivity, it becomes suddenly postmodern. Yeah. And yeah. This is why I like Spike Lee movies, because they, they know they're didactic. Right. And yeah. they're like, we're about to teach you something. You're going to walk away from this movie having learned something or having felt a different way about something. Yeah, there's a sense in which Spike Lee movies are just like his character from those... Uh, Nike Air commercials with a ruler bashing you on the head saying, I'm about to teach you something now. Yeah. Look at the chalkboard and then it does it. Right? You thought you thought Defive Bloods was gonna be just a fun getting gold movie, didn't you? Ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've tricked you. And 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 that <laughs> I tricked you by making you buy this ticket. Now you're yeah. well or set down Get this Netflix. Netflix subscription. Right. Yeah. And uh, here you go. And so I think that makes it work. I think also the way in which it's dialoguing with what motivates critics to write their pieces to again and i'm thinking much more about film scholarship in yeah. this mm-hmm. case well or, and i think the film is or art scholarship i in think general. the film is thinking about film scholarship by having with that art critic but I, I, yeah again absolutely. i think it's you're right it's art criticism in general in in, in general but i i think there is a way in which it it, it posits much more uh someone who is going to uh you know a, a, a rosalind uh, krauss who uh, writes about art you know kind of a uh, writer than it is sort of a roger Ebert yeah. kind of person. Uh, and uh, w- what I mean by that is she is at first uninterested in the work because she thinks it's going to be niche and uh, it's going to be less known and is less likely to be the kind of thing that's going to get a lot of citations and other artwork uh, criticism in the future. Well, she thinks it's too similar to his previous work. It's too yeah. similar to his previous work, and it's just going to be a thing. It's like, well, that's a thing that happened, and nobody's going to really care. It's too It's just. It's too small of an object in terms of its popular sort of uh, pe- penetration and saturation. But what happens when a murder is when associated a, When a murder gets it. associated with it, all of a sudden, like, now people are going to be interested in this piece. Yeah. It, it really does does get it like i don't know the the inherent like 
difficult, like, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. The the in- intellectual dishonesty that can go into art criticism sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because what, what, because what people are afraid mind, to say what they like. It is, it's true. And it is also, I think it's, uh, there are oftentimes very, very good pieces that are, uh, uh, pieces of art, that is, that are worthy of discussion, dissection, anal- and analysis, and further conversation with the other, the rest of the field that never get that same kind of recognition because it doesn't have the same cash value or uh, at least cultural cachet. I, I, I'm going to make a sort of a bold statement right now Uh-oh. that um, I think this is a brilliant film. It's very well made and is uh, the kind of filmmaking that is worthy of thinking about. But because Brandon Lee died on the set of the making of The Crow, it became even more interesting to scholars and gotcha. to analysis. Well, thank God afterward. nobody died on the set of Candyman. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad of that as well. But, <laughs> yeah. but that, I, I think that's sort of the same kind of well, idea. Well, in line with that, I mean, it's the Dark Knight, right? Correct. Heath Ledger's yeah, Heath, death absolutely. adds a, a whole other element of intrigue mm-hmm. and mystique to that the performance specifically mm-hmm. because of kind of all the scuttlebutt of oh, his journals and he was in the dark, you know, whatever that might be. But yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a way in which real life event impacts the way in which we appreciate or cultivates and fosters the reputation of a movie. Right, absolutely. I mean, you know, sort of the, the tortured history of Vincent Van Gogh even yeah. can be the same kind of thing sure. here. Yeah. If he hadn't cut off his ear prior to this and then later on uh, taken his own life, yeah. then there, there there's a way in which those bits of yeah. I- entry... I mean, even of, you know, Hitchcock-esque Guzbag adds so much to his movies. That's knowing... Salaci- there's a salaciousness yeah. to it. There's a yellow journalism to scholarship. Yeah. And I do think that the movie is kind of highlighting that. Yeah. And uh, that's I think it's just important to sort of see. Uh, yeah, uh, so at some level, right, critics kind of ruin art. As much as I, like, am obsessed with thinking about and talking about media, we kind of take the fun out of it Mm -hmm. because we're doing the thing that you're supposed to do over coffee and cigarettes at the diner, right, after you see the movie. And we're, we're, like, trying to not necessarily commodify it, but we're we're trying to package it, something that's kind of, like, ephemeral and you shouldn't really be able to pin down. We're trying to say, nope, this is what it's about. What Thoreau said to dissect is is to kill. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It is that idea of at odds of artist objective. What I like, you don't like, yeah. whatever, and then trying to put that in the box and know this is good, this is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. trying to merge those two worlds does not work. Worthy of conversation. Yeah, and I think not, it is yeah. at that point where it's, you know, I, I'm very much of the mind of watch all the movies, formulate your own opinion, you know, and then let's discuss because I think there's, you know, that's where conversation can happen and insight can occur. Mm-hmm. But I think it is when a person is told, oh, that's a great movie, and they watch it and they bounce off of it hard, and then there's a distrust within. The journalism of oh critics don't know what they're talking about they're just mm-hmm. pretentious airheads or whatever you know and i think that's a very interesting conversation i think that's one of the major dangers of something like rotten tomatoes and the way in which it has become a stamp of approval slash certified fresh it's yeah. on the posters for crying out loud yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a huge part of marketing material certified fresh 100 percent on rotten tomatoes you know whatever and I think there's a pressure on critics to not have the divergent opinion as well. Yeah. To be and part of the market. I just saw you, this conversation happening like right now as people are talking about Blonde. There's yeah. pressure to be part of the marketing arm of a movie. And it's yeah. like, no, your job is to talk about the film and like try to have a discourse and with unpack it. it and, I mean, it's, it's, it's the it. opposite end. It's, 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 it's less about hating something. You know, that's the divergent opinion that I, mm-hmm. I'm one of those people that's like, I'm not so sure about this one. Yeah. And that, that, there's less of that kind of pressure. It's much more of the I need to be with everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and liking the same kinds of things. Although, famously, those Roger Ebert inter- uh, reviews of 
otherwise lauded films, his uh, famous one-star review of Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. yeah. is, is, is kind of one of these instances where you don't want to be that guy. Yeah. So there's, there's a little bit of that as well still. So now that we've kind of sketched out some ground for us to work with as far as like d- discussing art let's discuss this art oh my why not yeah i think it's what we came uh, you know that's why i'm here if i just learned anything from what i just said is that we should all just shut up and go home should we, should we just <laughs> call it a day <laughs> I, 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 I mean, well, well, which is what we opened up with right we have no business talking about this anyway um see you next week no just kidding yeah, I mean, we got 15, 20 minutes left to kill. Why not Might try well. to talk about it? Uh, I do think it's uh, great that this movie's got a one of the all-time A-cabbiest uh, horror movie endings right up there with Malignant, where mm-hmm. uh, just a yeah. bunch of cops get cut open. It's very <laughs> yeah. fun. Pretty cool. I'm sorry. Uh, your your uncle, my uncle, they all count. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I like it because it also weaponizes Candyman. It does. What, uh, what is it that Tony Todd says to Tayona Paris? Uh when she encounters him right before he fades, like tell it's like I tell everyone. It's a, yeah. it, I almost wanted to say witness me, but I know it's not that. It, it, but it is witness kind of that, yeah, me. yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it, it is tell it, everyone. Is tell what it is everyone, out. kind yeah. of yeah. some 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 version of that. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's such a, an interesting I don't know, subversion of the original Candyman to to weaponize him. That's uh, very clever. Again, it it is sort of the moment where the movie says, "Yep, it is a bit literal, isn't it?" Mm-hmm. Cool, that's yeah. what I say. Yeah, even if it doesn't make any. Coleman Domingo's heel turn makes no sense at all to me whatsoever. Yeah, it's hard to find a weird justification. That's, that, that's that what works, I was talking right? about yeah. when I was saying it's sweaty. But I think the way that third act comes, that not even the third act, just that finale, that, <laughs> that kind of closing it's moment, really gripping, is so cool. And uh, what we're describing here is that uh, when um, nope, make them watch it. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, uh, we're in spoiler territory. I thought <laughs> no, we are in spoiler territory. So yeah, yeah. so so when so when Anthony uh, arrives at uh, the sort of last little ghetto fied bit of old school Cabrini. The last standing remnants of Cabrini, Cabrini Green. Green. Yeah. When he gets there, so, uh, a man that he meets happens to be someone who knows the Candyman story and knows Anthony's connection to Candyman, which was not a, not a twist for me because I saw Vanessa Williams in the credits and then she named him Anthony. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but when he's... Anthony was kidnapped. If, if you haven't watched 1990s Candyman, Anthony as a baby in that film is kidnapped is by the Candyman. Kidnap baby, yeah. And is recounted in the opening moments of this. Yes. yes. That's right. That's in right. the story of Helen. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, when um, he arrives, this man is recognizes him as such and is, I guess, upset that the Candyman story is not continuing to go forward and wants that to happen. And so he, uh, again, sort of because of the familiar obsessional nature of the story with what happened with Virginia Madsen in the first film, he tells him just a little bit of it so he'll investigate it and get obsessed. And by his obsession, then uh, create a new cycle of Candyman events. I'm actually yeah. coming around on Coleman Domingo's heel turn as we're talking about it. Okay. Because I, I am like, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, no, it actually does make sense. Yeah. He wants the Candyman to continue. They've torn down Cabrini Green and they're just getting away with it. Well, it, yeah. it, it, it is erasure of that sort of frightening past. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. That the frightening past, and again, thinking about gothic tropes, the frightening past is buried in the archive in the hidden text somewhere there deep in the catacombs of the castle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here again is now the urtext is in the notes of uh, Virginia Madsen's Helen character from the first film mm-hmm. that yeah. needs to be unearthed and then um, spoken into existence by playing the tapes in this case and very, very sort of evil dead kind of um, vibes right in this moment here. But by playing that and having that, the Latin red (laughs) to go to cabin in the woods. Now we've unleashed the ghost. That whole sequence rules where he gets into the elevator. Yeah. 
Ooh, good. There's also good got some DNA, I think, with the ring and Ringu as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, they yeah, are yeah. right there. He was mm-hmm. telling the story and letting the story go on. There's also a way in which uh, you know, William will his uh, the, this resuscitation of the Candyman is a way to pay for his own kind of atone for his own guilt in, in, in the death of Sherman. You know, because he, yeah, he, it is his fault that Sherman is is murdered, found and murdered. I mean, yeah. it's not and like he told; he was just simply frightened and screamed. Yeah, but know? I mean, but he does for a young feel... child, I think that that correlation does equal guilt because yeah. I made this noise, and another and another innocent black man was gunned down by police. Yeah. yeah, and so I think there's a way in which he's trying to atone for that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. An interesting read of like that character's motivations for sure. Because yeah. it, because the film is light on what his motivations are, really. Yeah. And I, I think that that's kind of an interesting like way to look at you know this sort of this this childhood trauma and how it like festers and manifests in mm-hmm. adulthood. I think it's pretty interesting. So I, I think the trauma answer does sort of explain the heel turn a little bit. And also, I think just in addition to it is that no, we must reckon with this. You've got to let these, uh, uh, the lively dead walk again. Yeah. And so if we don't let that happen, they'll forget and they'll do it again. They'll keep, or they'll in this yeah. case, keep doing what they've been doing. Yeah. And We've got to tell their stories. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't let their stories die. Speaking of telling stories though, Anthony is, quite pleased with himself when he hears his name on the news uh it's a good boy. moment it's so they said good. my name they said say my name it's a cool yeah it's really good yeah it's it's such a well-delivered moment too yeah. like mm-hmm. he is totally forgotten that there are other people in the room yeah and he is just locked in on his like own satisfaction yeah it's it's such a great scene but it like underscores a kind of an interesting like parallel between anthony and helen uh from the 90 original and, and it is this like this this sort of self-serving mission, even though it's being cloaked in, I care, Mm -hmm. right? For Helen, it's, she wants that academic credibility and is trying to say, but I, I care about what's going on at Korean Green. And for Anthony, it's the same thing. Like I care about what's happening to my community, but also it sure is cool. when they say Anthony McCoy on the TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting, like, and again, like I'm sure, you know, Jordan Peele and Nita Costa probably wrestled with these same questions as they were developing this film. Like, how do you make a movie about black pain that doesn't feel like it's profiting off of a very real slow motion genocide? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. That's a hard question to ask. And like, if anybody like knows about what this movie's about and doesn't want to see it because of what it's about, that's valid, man. Like it is yeah. mm-hmm. perfectly fine to bounce off of this movie entirely and think it's in bad taste. I, I think that that's, that's a reasonable reaction. And I think, I think the text is okay with you thinking that that's, that's your reaction to the mm-hmm. film I, I do think the film is like on board with that take honestly which is kind of hard to do i don't i don't think it's it's easy and I, I think that that might be maybe the source of some of the shortcomings we've talked about is like this is a very difficult needle to thread and and because of that the film has to engage with a lot of different topics and it can only give service to so many for so long i don't right. know if that makes sense and i guess i want to go ahead and say out loud the way in which that tagline connects to these particular issues because what we find in uh the black lives matter movement uh which is dealing directly with police violence um and other sort of versions of state violence against black bodies is uh, one of their um catchphrases or one of their uh, rallying cries is to say the name say of name. Eric yeah. Garner or uh, Michael Brown Breonna Taylor Breonna yeah. Tamir Rice yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Tamir yeah yeah we'd and, be here all day yeah, yeah. And, and, and so there's a number of these names that we were sort of like you've got to keep saying that name you've got to keep remembering this and so the fact that the way in which you conjure the candy man is by saying his name five times in a mirror hey, my name's, hey, my name's. that would be it's the wrong needle drop and, and you know what? Like, it's such an overplayed trailer trope, but man, do they make it work. Like, yeah. Every once in a while, a movie will remind you, like, why the trend started in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good one. 
Love a minor key cover. I'm a sucker. Yeah, I'm yeah. an idiot. I yeah. wonder, you know, and this is kind of a weird diversion. So I listened to Jordan Peele uh, on Smartless, and they were asking him, you know, if he got a say in the trailers for his movies, you know, uh-huh. as far as like his big three. And, yeah. And he was, so I, I wonder, because I think he said he does get a, a good bit of say into that marketing. He, he inputs in that. So good. I'm wondering if there's not some of that in, cause there's a, a very fun awareness of, mm-hmm. yes, this is the trend, mm-hmm. but let's use, you know, there's a very smart way. And we awareness. have something more subversive to do with this trend. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got it while we're kind of in tangents. I, I was checking out uh, Thomas Flight, who's a YouTube essayist that I, I wasn't familiar with, but he had a video on Afro surrealism and the show Atlanta. But he he also briefly interviewed D. Scott Miller, who in two thousand nine wrote like a pretty famous Afro surrealism manifesto. Obviously, mm-hmm. he was he's not the person to coin this term, but in, he kind of like codified it. Um, it was it was first. Uh, coined by Amir uh, Baraka in the 70s to uh, describe the work of Henry Dumas. But uh, Mm -hmm. anyway, Miller in 2009 sort of codified it and said that uh, Afro-surrealism sees that all others who create from their actual lived experiences are surrealists, which I think... Say that one more time. Okay, yeah, you're right. I should put that down. Afro-surrealism sees that all others who create from their actual lived experience are surrealists. So again, the experience of Mm -hmm. being an other in white society or in western american society right it's or a, in any society it's a, it's a site of rupture yeah, yeah. And, and and the you're, marvelous you are forced to mm-hmm. whether it's gender norms or you know hetero heteronormative norms or racial norms it, it is you are experiencing the, that double consciousness of a, a real and unreal thing that is unfolding upon you mm-hmm. and so i just kind of thought about this movie and to me like the most sort of surrealist touches are like the body horror of this film mm-hmm. the beasting that sort of become the festering Candyman infection. Right. And I think it's also in reference to the uh, surrealist political agenda, that by having that sort of uncanny encounter, that all sight and perception thereafter is now changed. And so there's a way in which that causes yeah, that I got to some, happen. I got some more quotes for okay. you. You ready all for right, this? You're right, going right, to love right. this. Yeah, yeah, because well, I'm, I'm into the surrealist. Yeah, so there's... T- I know you are. So there's 10 tenets uh, in his manifesto, but here, here are two that I thought were... I'm pulling from Wikipedia, but I thought these were really, really worth sharing. Um, Afro-surrealists restore the cult of the past, and Afro-surreal proposes that beyond this visible world, there is an invisible world striving to manifest, and mm-hmm. it's our job to uncover it. Yeah, manifesting. Yeah, the dream yeah. content that the surrealists are thinking about, but it's mm-hmm. also for political purpose. Yeah. So yeah, pr- because I love it. Yeah. The dream content is very real for some people. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 dream is a, is was well, ongoing. Thing. It's an ongoing uh, nightmare of memory. Yeah, there yeah. we go. There yeah. we go. That's a good way to put it. So, anyway, so I, I thought about that. Just again, I. I so I watched that essay, you know, and I was still I've been turning over this movie in my mind for weeks now just because of our production schedule. And as I was watching that video, I was like, ooh, Candyman's got a little bit of that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Just a touch of it. I mean, I don't know if the film's like fully surrealist, but even that opening of the again, that subversion of like the street level view of the buildings is just that's not what that's not how we establish what city you're in and, and films. It's just a it is it takes that different view to say, let's look at it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. That's just good filmmaking. Right. Well, and I, I think I like the way in which the film does another one of these um, kind of gothic tropes. It sort of, again, connects very much to the ideas that we're talking about in terms of race and a lot of movies that wrestle with these questions, very, very contemporary questions of race, as we have been talking about um, a, a number of gentrification kind of films mm. in general, right? And so, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we're looking back at that process as it takes place and that in some ways this becomes the uh, gothic trope of the Native American graveyard. Mm. 
mm. is that this is now the the sort of the ghetto is in a sense the African American graveyard mm. on which uh, the bones of which have been now raised and built on top of we build a target on top of it and and and, and now we need to recognize that those 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 spaces are haunted by historical memory. And uh, that's that's a that's a really kind of fascinating piece to this film as well is that Cabrini Green is though um, very very uh, glitzy and very much sort of a Greenwich Village kind of area now in Chicago it is haunted by the memory of everything that happened in, when it was uh, low income housing over mm-hmm. the course of the what late sixties to the late nineties. Well, it was supposed to be like straight up. This is real. They the, somebody was like, hey, you know, we've kind of got these really ominous. Uh, painted numbers on the housing units of Cabrini Green. We could do something like metal that would be a little fancier and like a little less weird and straight up. I can't remember if it's like a board member. Somebody said, no, you can't make public housing that nice. So it was envisioned as a really good, affordable, you know, housing for just anybody, you know, it was just, mm-hmm. it was just about making affordable housing in Chicago and you know you know how these things go mm-hmm. uh disinterest lack of resources right uh there's a pretty good i, I wish i could remember uh, who did it but i watched a pretty good video essay about the original candy man um if you go looking for video, candy man video essays you'll find this one he, there's some pretty good breeding green research going on in that video mm. um yeah i wish i'd made made a note on that one um nope don't have it dang sorry can't nope. give can't give credit it was a great video essay though but yeah, it does get into sort of like the history of Cabrini Green and, and mm. uh, touches on because it's a modern video essay. It does touch on kind of sure. what happened, right? Uh, and uh, sort of it's it came out pre Candyman twenty twenty one, so it does kind of smartly predict some of the issues that that film will how that deal became with. this you know hipster um, you know artist enclave. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I do love the interesting back and forth about hipster or not hipsters but artists as gentrifiers as sort of an interesting conversation that happens in the film well that comes up again in 2022's barbarian yes right? it does mm-hmm. yes it does really fun i thought about barbarian yeah. too for my syllabus because that first act of that movie is all social horror yeah it's all about human interaction and yeah. how that can be terrifying yeah so i did think about barbarian a little bit but well, i thought about right. it too when you're talking about niceties and pleasant trees and how that leads to horror yeah yeah, yeah. exactly Absolutely. God, Barbarian's such a good movie. The movie. That movie rules. <laughs> Dustin, you gotta see Barbarian, uh, man, It's on dude. the list, man. Go I'm watch get, it now. I'm gonna get there. Go do it. Do it after you uh, finish these uh, comps. Yeah, I've got PhD and comprehensive And go celebrate exams. with a uh, invigorating uh, twofer. Go watch, uh, go watch Pearl and, and Barbarian. I do want to see go. Pearl very badly. You'll love Pearl, I know. I think, I, I think it's, right it's right exactly what I want. I think yeah. you'll like X, but I think you're gonna love Pearl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I much prefer Pearl to X. That's just my personal preference there. Uh, Anthony does have a counter to the charge of artists as agents of gentrification, though, right? It's the, his, his counter is that the larger systems are what create the hood, and the larger systems are what create or what attract white folk, young white folk, to come flip the hood, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's interesting. The movie has got like multiple dialogue points going on with gentrification. Like it, it, it understands that it's a complex issue that the movie's not going to solve. Right. Which is good. I mean, it's, it's good filmmaking again. How scary is this movie to you guys? I, I, I ask because I'm, I'm sort of, I'm positing that the movie doesn't need to be that scary because I think the, the movie can be scary in sort of a sad and angry, the world's messed up way. I don't, yeah. I don't think it necessarily has to be like, yeah, well, I wasn't worried that Candyman's going to get me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it is that kind of the Gothic horror element. Cause I don't think of Gothic horror as scary. It, mm-hmm. it is the way in which it plays with ghosts. It it's plays with imagery and there's a dread, but there's this sort of generational trauma and tragedy at play as well. Right. So I don't think of this as scary, which That's I true. think is 
again, kind of why I take issue with some of those sequences that fill. Well, that's why I, I, I was going to say we need to go ahead and address those um, two moments that we think that might be sort of studio notes that are inserts sort of in the, the high film. school yeah. bathroom scene, which really feels tacked on. The other and one, and you kind of have beef with the the first kill at the art. Yeah, gallery. and I think it is because that dialogue feels so kind of ham fist and wooden you know and it doesn't feel as natural as everything else around it yeah we got this this uh intern whose only character uh, trope is uh, our character trait is liking joy division which is pretty funny yeah it, it is, is some real art intern bullshit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah you're not wrong there yeah I, I think because well the guy's name's clive yeah right and so mm. clive barker as yeah. the sort of uh, uh the short story writer yeah that, that is the inspiration for the first candy man movie yeah. and the the, the in sort of initial beginning of the franchise and the way in which there is this sort of strange weird um kinky sexuality yeah. that's also connected to it. That I, I think that the murder itself sort of begins to be its own little mini homage to the entire oeuvre. The slasher uh, genre. Uh, well, the slasher oh, of Clive Barker, specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's like, and by the way, we're saying thanks, Clive, because yeah. if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be having this conversation yeah. right now. Yeah. So you think that that uh, the sexuality and violence mix up is is a direct nod to Clive? I think I, I, that's that's the way I well, read it. It just makes yeah. sense. That, I mean, the character's name's Clive, so I think yeah. that's a fair. Yeah, and, and so and I the, think that one's a little more in line because you know the thing about the Candyman, if we look at the original, is the way in which he is so wrapped up. Because I mean, there's almost a way you could look at the original Candyman, and Helen does commit those crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, that's a that's a read of the know, film. Sure, and, and so I think that's most pure and distilled here in the, the art critic. And that's what I kind of was alluding to there is mm. that that feels most in line is, is Anthony could have done that. An, murder. Yeah. Did Anthony, yeah. And, and, but Anthony definitely couldn't have done the high school murders. Yeah. And correct. He, he, he could have done, done the art. Yeah. He, you know, and that's the kind of the idea there that I think it, it, that feels a little more in line. It's just the way that that's written. That doesn't almost feel like, Oh, we need to get something that could, yeah, there was a yeah. there was a note for it. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's something and, off about that. And then they took the note and said, "Okay, we'll do this thing, and we'll say, hey, hey, Clyde.' Yeah, and I, and so that that that's a way in which again, I think both of these notes, and this is the argument I was making to Arthur yeah. uh, over the course of the last week, is that both of those notes were bad notes given, and then put at least somewhat in service yeah. to some other aspect yeah. of uh, either the the whole plot itself or to. Um, just uh, the the artistic interests of our uh, our filmmaking team here, and with the uh, high school scene, well, fascinatingly enough, the one African American student says, "Nope, I'm out." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and she lives, and that's kind of nice. And there's also a way in which, in that moment, it foreshadows the Candyman as Ghost of Vengeance, mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. sort of Ghost Rider, right? Is because they are you know bullying her, torturing her, trying to bother, and then here comes Candyman. Mm-hmm. So it, it does force, and I think you're right. I think the movie does try to incorporate those moments in ways that connect to the material, but they just they do. They're they, still they're still a, forced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're by nature they're forced. You can't hide their forcedness. Yeah. 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 Well, shall we render a verdict? I guess we might as well. So what do we say? Shelf or trash with Candyman 2021. What say you, Dalton? Oh, I'm so mad you went with me first. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you want to make sure that the thermometer's right and all the critics say the same thing? No, no, Dustin. <laughs> I just, you know, I, all right, here we go. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say it's shelfable, but you've got to package in 1990s Candyman. They okay. go together. You, you can't separate the two. They're, they're intrinsically linked for obvious reasons. So I say put them on the shelf. 
you know, keep them back to back. Boom. Candyman 99. Nine, I keep saying 99. Candyman 90. That would Candyman be Day of the Dead. Do not shelf that one. Yeah. I, that's I think, a direct-to-video one, I, and that's real I bad. think you can skip the direct-to-video ones, probably. Yeah. I figured that was the case. Farewell the Flesh is not bad, but it's not good either. Is that the one it's that does title. has, like, a bunch of Robitaille, uh, like, expanded mm-hmm. much history? Yeah, much like more for New Orleans. Yeah, not New Orleans stuff, but kind of that, uh, the, the 1890s art. Yeah, stuff. the 1890s stuff. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm saying it's shelfable as long as you include both films, because I think both films are a mixed bags that work pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. All right. What do you say, Arthur? Exactly the same spot. That's what I was going to. That was going to be my caveat. Yeah, I, I think you can lightly put it on a shelf if you pair them, because I do think they you I think you both mentioned at several points. There's a way in which they feed into one another mm-hmm. and elevate each other in unique ways and. and inform each other in, in really interesting ways. Obviously you'd expect that with a sequel, but I think specifically here, the way that, that it all plays out. So yes, very, it's a very tentative and light shelving for me with that caveat. Okay. So I'm going to say basically the same thing you guys have said, except for I'm going to make a slightly different flavor on it in that for the last it's a very 30, light trash. The, no, for the last the original, for the last 32 years, you should have already had the original Candyman on your show. And so it was yeah. already there. Yeah. And so therefore, with that assumption, because you care about movies and you like this kind of genre of filmmaking to start with, then of course, when this one comes around, you see it and go, this is worthy as well. And because you do already know the first film. So yes, you shelf it because you've already been here. You're ready for this in terms of you're as old as me. So that's why. Very uh, few people are. Hardly anyone. Uh, but anyway, um, but we, you know, we have parties, we have get-togethers, yeah. and um, you know, uh, you uh, and the old folks, uh, 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 us millennials, <laughs> before nine o'clock, millennials. Yeah, those of us a thousand years older plus. Ah, yeah. I see. I there see. You go. I see. There yeah, we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I <laughs> oh my it. god. Yeah. All right. So anyway, well, when you're born in the late 1900s, you can only do so much. <laughs> At the you turn just, of you know, the you're century, set, you're setting your ways. At the turn of the century. Mm. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Truly. I preceded the turn of the century by two decades. <laughs> <laughs> He's old, y'all. <laughs> We're not going to say which century. No. We're going to let you guess. Yeah. That's entirely up to your discretion. (laughs) He is a vampire. Well, I guess now I'll tell you how to get in touch with us, because he's frankly too mad to throw to me. (laughs) If you want to keep this conversation going, you can find us online in a couple of different places. Uh, You can send your long-form feedback to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's the name of this show, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You can also find... That explains a lot. That Yeah, does it? Yeah. He's just sort of wistfully looking to the sky. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Good Trash Media. It's where we post uh, links to this show, links to other shows that we're on or other shows that friends of ours host, uh, film articles that we like and are interested in. Um, in fact, if you go follow us on Twitter right now, you can probably find a link to me on the Cinematic Schematic. Oh. I was a recent guest. As as this episode is dropping, I was a recent guest on a horror movie roundup. So if you're if you're feeling the spooky season delights, you can listen to me and a friend of the show, Caleb Masters, talk some films like X and Pearl and Barbarian. If you want more Barbarian talk, you can go there. Uh, so again, just, uh, you know, we show up on other people's podcasts from time to time. So I'll, I'll be over there at the Cinematic Schematic if you want to go check out some more horror movie talk. Uh, and finally, last but not least, if you want to help us keep the lights on, it's patreon.com forward slash GTM. That's where you can uh, help us pay hosting fees. Uh, things like getting us on a Spotify, which we're, we're on now. Uh, things like helping us buy movies that are on streaming. That, that, those are the sorts of activities you can help us support. And that's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Go over there and find out what's in it for you. Uh, Arthur, Shocktober continues our, our celebration of 10 years of good trash and our 11th Shocktober. 
what next shall we find in the Book of Shocks? Well, I'm, go- I'm going to go ahead and announce the next two movies. Interesting. On the air. Why is that? I think well, do, do they, they pair we'll in an interesting way? Mm-hmm. Well, no, they don't. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, we're probably going to do a double record. And I, I want to get the, I like the surprise of announcing movies. Oh, you like to see our reaction yeah. on the air. I it's, got you. It's more fun that it way. It is more fun. Uh, so next week, we're going to keep examining uh, some of the major titles we've never gotten around to. Uh, and we're going to move from Ghosts and Nightmares to The Walking Dead. Next week, we take a look at... 28 days later. Wow. I was going to say, what zombie movie have we not gotten to? Yeah, good It is one. one of the scariest ones ever. Oh, 28 days later? Yeah. Yeah, hands down. The, 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 maybe the scariest one. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, it's way up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and wh- what will we be following 28 days later with, well, Arthur? don't close your eyes, because if it's in a word or if it's in a book, you can't get rid of... Of the, the Baba motherfucking Baba Duke, the queer icon we all know and love. <laughs> <laughs> so great, yeah, baby. Uh, I'm so excited to talk. Twenty eight days later, and Baba Duke. Now, remember, listener, we are not watching the Sandy Bullock film. Twenty eight days. <laughs> we already did our Sandra Bullock marathon. We're not going back. <laughs> That's right, listener. <laughs> not that rehab is at a loss for words. Not no. that rehab Re- isn't scary enough to be. Yeah, on Re- Shocktober. I was like rehab could be a source of horror, um, yeah. but yes. Um, <laughs> That, that, that's what I was sort of like percolating. How do I co- construct that joke? But, hey, I've always got your back. Um, so anyhow, um, that's what's coming down the pike. Um, you keep watching. We'll keep talking. He just wants to take another look at you. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid of anything.